0: Welcome to Survivor Sanctuary. This is Kelly. We are kicking off episode 11 and some exciting stuff is coming up this week. So if you're listening to the podcast in real time, maybe you remember me talking about the Courage Conference. Well, it is in Orlando this weekend, October 25th and 26th and part of the 27th as well, because I did sign up for those extra sessions on Sunday. And I'm gonna get to meet some of the Survivor Sanctuary listeners, and I'm excited about that. And I'm gonna post some details about a possible meetup in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. So maybe if we have time, we can meet up at some point this weekend. I would love to hang out with you and chat and just meet some of the Survivor Sanctuary listeners face to face, so make sure that you are a part of the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. You can search Survivor Sanctuary on Facebook and Ask to join and I will approve you as long as you're not like a serial killer or uh, there to just harass uh, other people who are trying to post. You will more than likely be approved to be a part of the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group and I'll have those details on a possible meetup. Uh, and I have a few ideas because there are actually some people who are like advocates from Twitter who who are doing a little bit of a meetup, and I thought maybe we could piggyback on that. Well, I'll have more details in the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. So make sure that you sign up there to be a part of the page if you're not already. And we've been having some really great discussions on the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. Um, The last couple of weeks, man, a lot of you are sharing your stories and asking for advice. And, you know, I think in some cases, it's not so much advice that we need. It's just to hear other people tell us that they get it. You know, to hear other people say, your story matters, and what happened to you is not okay, and I'm here to support you, and in the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group, that's what you're going to find, a very supportive community, so I hope that you will join us there. So we're diving right into episode 11, and today I want to talk about how churches handle allegations of sexual abuse or sexual abuse scandals that come up within the church. Now, you probably will hear survivors talking about this White a bit because it's something that honestly churches just do not do very well responding to allegations of sexual abuse in the church is something that historically the church has stunk at and unfortunately continues to stink at uh, in the present day. And I wish that we could say that times had changed and that people were getting better. And it's my hope and prayer that things are changing and getting better. And I know that there are enough voices being raised right now that perhaps things will begin to truly change within the church. But the fact remains that if you ask People who know much about abuse, how the church is doing in response, um, their answer is going to be like, womp, womp, they're not doing very well at all. So it's not meant to insult the church. I'm not saying this out of a place of hatred for the church at all. It's just the reality of where we are. Religious institutions do not respond very well as a whole to allegations of sexual abuse, or to sex abuse scandals within their churches. So I've entitled today's episode, A Tale of Two Felonies, How Not to Handle a Sex Abuse Scandal in the Church. And the reason I call it a tale of two felonies is because I actually have a personal experience with how churches respond to sex abuse that I feel like is a really good example to use when talking about how not to handle sex abuse scandals within the church. It's a church that I was a member of until recently. Actually, I probably am still a member. Don't know how to take care of that. But it's a church that I attended for several years. And when I began attending that church, the church was in the news because some of the church's regular attenders, if not members, were involved in a felony. So my very first Sunday there, I'm pretty sure it was the first Sunday that I was there, the pastor stood up, he talked about this situation that was very traumatic and very horrible, and he was very open, very honest about it. The church had really jumped in and they had responded to this tragedy slash felony in a pretty amazing way. I want to read you the news article that I read when I found out that this church was in the news. The article is from CVS Miami, and I'm changing names. I'm I'm not going to quote word for word here because I've had to change some things because it's not my intention to throw particular people under the bus or a particular church under the bus. It is just an example from my own life that I think is a good example to use in this episode. So I'm going to read this article to you. A Miami pastor says he's committed to helping three teenagers whose adoptive grandmother was murdered last week. We are here for these kids, said the pastor. They're part of our church. They're part of our church family. This is who we are. We're well-connected. We love these kids very much. We love them very much. Police said their grandmother was stabbed to death inside her home during an argument with her daughter. In light of everything that happened, how are the children doing, asked CBS. They're doing very well, said the pastor. They're doing very well. He said that the decedent and her grandchildren were just in church for services on the same Sunday that she lost her life. It is very sad what happened to her, said the pastor. He said she was devoted to her grandchildren and added she will be missed. A judge gave the pastor temporary custody of the children after a hearing. He said he was setting up a trust fund for them. Ultimately, the Department of Children and Families will determine where the children will be placed and if they'll be kept together. We want to do everything we can to keep them safe, said the pastor, and we want to show them all the love that they need. We just need to love and support them and be there for them, he said. So imagine my heart when I see this church responding in such an amazing way to this tragic situation. They're in the news because a member of their church was stabbed to death by her daughter. The three grandchildren are now homeless and and essentially orphans because their grandmother has lost her life and their mother is going to prison for a very long time. And this church sprung into action. They took the children in, gave them places to sleep, families that had their own kids and their own lives going on, really sacrificed so that these kids could be taken care of. Even people who had grown kids and grandchildren and who were retired, they were allowing the children to come in and have a place to live. And they were just trying to love these kids who had been through a really traumatic experience. Well, ultimately, uh, two of the children, I believe, went to live with an aunt. And one of the teenagers was adopted by a family in the church. And he's with them to this day. So I just remember feeling like, you know what? This is a good church. This is a church where people care about people and they see this tragedy happen. It's this tragedy involving members of their church or regular attenders of their church and they just spring into action and they just wanna keep these kids safe and show them love and support them. And I thought that was pretty amazing and I just remember thinking, yeah, I picked a good church. Like this is a good thing. So, fast forward to several years down the road to the next felony involving one of their church members that ended up in the news. And we've got a very different type of response from the church. One Tuesday evening on the six o'clock news, we saw a very familiar face, a man who had been a fixture in the church for years and years and years and who had been working with youth in the church for many years and who had been working with media and lighting and sound and all different kinds of things within this church. He had even been involved in the denomination and served in the district as statistician. He was well-known, a very well-known person in the church and in the district for this church's denomination. And he's in the news. He was arrested for sexually assaulting a 15-year-old boy. And there were five felony charges against him, I believe. Um, Not going to read all of them to you, but this was a story in the news. Now, it was noted in the story that the man who was arrested was an IT tech at a local high school, and they also discovered in searching his name on the internet that this man served as media pastor of the church that I attended. Now, he wasn't in a paid role at the church. He was not on staff. He didn't get money for the things that he did. But when I say this man was at the church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, he was completely immersed in the life of the church. He was the church. Like you knew his name if you went to that church for any amount of time at all. And he was just very much a fixture and someone whose face you always saw, involved in everything, but especially involved in the youth ministry. And my first thought, and I know that it was the first thought of quite a few really good people from that church when they saw this story, oh no, because he's been working with kids and he was just arrested for sexually assaulting a kid. I think that memories just came flooding to people of things that probably finally made sense about some of his behavior and about the way that he behaved around teens, especially teen boys of a certain age. Things just kind of snapped into place for people. And I'm going to be honest with you and say, and this is probably a podcast for another time, but I had suspected for a couple of years that this man was molesting boys And I didn't have any specific reason to believe that. Um, There were just a lot of what I thought were red flags and my hair would stand on end. And I just, I, I would say sometimes to my family members because I didn't want to say it to anybody who went to the church because I didn't have any specific thing to go on. You know, I didn't, he hadn't done anything that I had seen that could be reported to the pastor. He just behaved to me in a way that had me convinced that he was probably a predator of teen boys. So when I found out that he had been arrested, I just remember shaking because I had been so frustrated for two years, just thinking, I know this guy is up to no good, I know he's up to no good, and I know he's up to no good with the boys in this church, And there's no way that I can prove it. And I can't say anything if I don't have any evidence. And so I would just sit and be frustrated. And I remember one Sunday in church, just finally trying to give this situation to the Lord, because I had talked to my dad about it. And he's a former pastor. And he just said, now Kelly, you can't just go accusing people. And I'm like, I know, I'm not just going and accusing him. I'm just telling you, I know that this guy is abusing boys. I don't know how I know, but I know. And I was so convinced and my dad was like, What you've gone through, being an abuse victim yourself, it might be clouding your judgment, and you know we get that a lot from different people. I'm not even offended by it anymore most of the time, Uh, but it isn't true. I don't walk around thinking that every single person that I meet is a sexual abuser of children, but I will tell you with 100% certainty, I knew that he was a child sexual abuser, and I didn't have anything to prove it, I just knew it. It was that gut instinct, And I prayed that day in church. And I had prayed before, but I prayed especially this day because I knew I just needed to let it go. I said, God, you have to bring this to light. I can't do anything about this because I don't have any proof. I can't just accuse someone of being a child molester when he hasn't done anything that I would be able to take to the church and say, hey, he's doing this or this. So I just gave it to God and I said, please bring this to light. Like, if he's doing something to harm kids, please bring it to light. And that was my prayer. And so when he was arrested, I just remember shaking and thinking, oh, my goodness. Like, I knew, I knew, I knew, and I didn't say anything. And honestly, I still feel to this day that I really couldn't say anything. Because again, no proof, no evidence, just a gut instinct. And aside from the instinct, it's observing behaviors that I didn't think were healthy, normal behaviors when it came to an adult with teenage boys. So this guy's arrested, and I wish so much that I could tell you that the church's response to this felony in the news was the same as the response to the one that the church was dealing with when I first joined their ranks, but sadly, it was not. In fact, the way that the church handled one of their members being arrested for sexually assaulting a child broke my heart, and... I want to highlight some of the differences for you today, and I think it's important that we compare and contrast here how a church can respond with so much love and so much grace and so much self-sacrifice when it's a story that will paint the church in a good light, and then how they respond with very little self-sacrifice at all to speak of when the story could paint the church in a bad light, and that breaks my heart. I hate it. Because the people who suffer, just like in the first story, are the ones who are wounded. They're the ones who are traumatized. And they need love and care and support from their church. And in this instance, they just didn't get it. So... The church's first order of business was to call an emergency board meeting to try and deal with the situation because the media had found his name online. The perpetrator's name was all over the church's website as the media pastor. In fact, he had designed the church's website. And so once the press got a hold of that tasty tidbit of information, they stopped calling talking as much about the fact that this guy worked in a school and began to say, you know, the South Florida pastor arrested for sexually assaulting a teen boy, you know, it's just this sensationalized headline. So they wanted to get rid of his name from the website and distance themselves as much as possible from this guy. Second order of business was to come up with a statement to release to the press because the press was definitely hounding and was showing up on the church campus and there's a school associated with the church as well and they just wanted the church and the school out of the news. So second order of business, prepare a statement with the help of attorneys and the insurance company and submit that to the press. One thing that was not done at this board meeting, and I've spoken to several people who were there and just going based on what they told me. One thing that didn't happen in this board meeting was a discussion of how to help potential victims, was a discussion of what to do uh, on the chance that there were victims within the church. And the fact that this man had worked so closely with youth for years and years and years. In fact, he was surrounded by teen boys like all the time. And that can't be lost on you, the significance of that. If he's Arrested for sexually assaulting a teenage boy, and he's always around that same age group of boys at the church and constantly volunteering in the youth ministry and having small groups for teen boys, and even at some points having boys in the church come live with him when they were having issues in their homes and their parents were having trouble dealing with them. So he was very much involved, and there's no way that a sane person can look at that and think to themselves, I'm sure he hasn't had a victim amongst the dozens and dozens of teen boys that he's worked with throughout the years. But in this board meeting, and I spoke to several people who were there, and they told me the emergency was pretty much get his name off the website, release this to the press, don't say a word to anybody about anything. And that was the gist of the response to this guy being arrested For the sexual assault of a child so in the first news story that i told you about the pastor was on camera talking about what the church was doing to rally around these victims and help them self-sacrificially to feel love and support and comfort after their grandmother was murdered and in this scenario this latest news story you have a very canned response released to the media and to anybody who asked any questions, and I want to read it to you. It says, we have been notified of the charges filed against the perpetrator, the IT tech at local high school X. And have no further information than what has been released to the public. He was not on our staff at church, and he has been released of all his volunteer responsibilities. We take very seriously the safety of our people. I trust you are in prayer for this situation. Psalm 86.6, listen closely to my prayer, O Lord, hear my urgent cry. So that was the statement that was released to the press. And while I don't believe there were any outright lies in this statement, it was very misleading. The church, knowing what it knew about this man and releasing a statement that makes it sound like he barely had anything to do with the church really bothered me. First of all, they're very careful to call the perpetrator the IT tech at local high school X. Not a tech, but the tech trying to put the sensationalized portion of the story back on the school and kind of disassociate him with the church. And they said they have no further information than what was the release to the public. And while that may be true about the specific arrest, they definitely had more details than what they were giving. They went on to say he wasn't on staff at our church. He's been released of all his volunteer responsibilities. They take the safety of their people seriously and everyone needs to pray. Here's a scripture. And this statement bothered me so much. And the reason it bothered me is because... The truth, like the 100% transparent truth, is that this perpetrator was a fixture in the church. He was a fixture in the youth ministry. He was one of the youth ministry's leaders for years. You know, when they scrubbed the church website, they forgot one page, and that's the youth group page. And he's listed with two other people as a youth leader. He was not just a random volunteer. He was someone who was an integral part of that church and who was a part of that youth ministry to the point where he might as well have been a paid staff member. This guy went to youth activities. He went to teen camp where he would spend a lot of overnights with the teen boys. He went to youth activities regularly. He hosted Bible studies and small groups for boys in his own home. He even had youth boys live with him sometimes when they were having difficulties at home. And he was also ordained by this church's denomination. So they left that part out of their response, but he was actually ordained by this denomination. And he served as the district statistician for this denomination for years. And the victim of this man, the one he was arrested for assaulting, this kid was a member of another one of this denomination's churches. And that is very unlikely to be a coincidence. The pastor and his wife knew this child and his parents, and they had known him for years. So while this boy wasn't a member of my church, he was a member of the denomination at large. There was a lot more to this story than the church was letting on because their purpose was not to love people and help people who may have been hurting. Their purpose was to distance themselves from this situation that they felt made the church look bad. A situation that might end up with people pulling out of the church, pulling their kids out of the youth group, maybe pulling their kids out of the school, and they didn't want to see that happen. And so we find this self-serving statement. So while we're comparing and contrasting, I want to compare what the church is saying in this situation to what one of the detectives on the case is saying. So in an article, Detective Z, we'll call him, uh, made some statements. So the article says this, Investigators learned that the perpetrator also volunteered to help with media, lighting, and sound at a local church. Because of his role at the church, police believe there may be other victims. This is something that we cannot allow to happen to any child. And what we want to know is if there's any additional victims, anybody else that has been victimized by this man to please come forward so we can get them the help they need. This was Detective Z saying this in response to finding out that this man volunteered at a local church. And here's the interesting thing to me. This detective was investigating a crime that happened with a man who worked at a high school and the crime involved a student from that same high school. And yet hearing that this guy volunteered at a local church, they immediately assumed that there could be other victims. Because of his role at the church. Because anyone, detective or otherwise, could not look at the level of involvement this guy had with the teen boys in the church and not think that he had been grooming other victims. But here's what was said in that board meeting that I told you about the emergency board meeting. Because I asked people who were there, was there any talk of how to help potential victims? Was there any talk of what to do for the youth group that's probably very traumatized? And they said, no. One of the board members said, let's just hope it was just this one time. Nothing about protecting kids, ensuring that other victims come forward, uh, or what to do about the very real possibility that it was not an isolated incident. Nothing. It was just let's hope it was just this one time, and then essentially, let's self-protect. Let's make sure that the church doesn't look bad in the media. It broke my heart for a number of reasons. One, because I always hope that a church will do the right thing. Even though you see them do the wrong thing over and over and over again, you just hope against hope that this time, A church is going to get it right. This time, they're going to do something uh, where they think about potential victims or hurting children instead of thinking about how they look in the media and the money that they might lose if people begin leaving the church or leaving a school or other institution associated with the church. You hope that that's not going to be the case this time. And it was. And I tried to offer some help. Um, I just thought that I could point the church to some resources because I actually know quite a few people who deal with sexual abuse in the church. And I had some books that I wanted to recommend. And I just thought, well, you know, they're probably reeling from this situation that's tough to deal with. And I'd love to just be able to say, hey, there's some resources that can really help if you're looking for help. And I was not well received at all by uh, the leadership of this church. They made it very clear that my suggestions weren't welcome and that they weren't going to talk to me. And essentially they said, we got it from our denomination. We got it straight from the top. We're not to talk about this. We're not to talk about this. So the pastor made a statement from the pulpit that first Sunday after the perpetrator was arrested. And he said, you may have heard on the news that one of our church members has been arrested. Uh, They didn't say who he was. They didn't say why he was arrested or the nature of the crime that he had committed. There was absolutely no detail. There was another request for prayers for all parties involved, but nothing else. And that was problematic because there are parents in that church who have let their children go to that youth group and their kids have been in a youth group with someone who has just been arrested for sexually assaulting a child of youth group age. It stands to reason that parents might need this little bit of information in case they didn't get it on their own. One of the reasons is because this guy, as a youth leader, had access to the contact information of so many teens in that youth group. And at a minimum, I thought that a letter should go out to parents who had been on record as attending the church with teens who had been a part of the youth group at any time, letting them know, hey, this person who was working with our youth was recently arrested for assaulting a youth. And we want you to be aware that he may have access to your child's contact information. We wanna let you know not to allow your child to talk to him. Or maybe talk to your child about if they ever felt uncomfortable. Uh, But instead of any of that, it was just this blanket statement that essentially said, uh, don't talk about this. Somebody was arrested. We're not going to talk about it. And just pray. Pray is all that you can do. And I just kept thinking, like, there are kids sitting here in this service right now whose youth leader, even if he never abused them, whose youth leader sexually assaulted someone and was arrested, like this man has been teaching them about Jesus, he's he's been teaching them about how to live a godly life, and you suddenly have this story, and how do you make sense of that as a teen? And the fact that we're being told we're not allowed to talk about this is not going to go a long way to helping kids work through this scenario. Uh, The second problem is there may very well be victims in the church And it's very likely, you heard what the detective said, I read it to you, Uh, the fact that he worked in the local church meant that they were concerned that he had more victims. And this detective did the right thing. I don't know if he's a believer or not. All I know is that he said, it's very important that there are other victims that you need to feel free to come forward. And in the church, there was nothing in that statement given to say, if anyone has been abused or made to feel uncomfortable by anyone in this church or otherwise, we want you to know that you are safe to come forward with us. Your safety and your care are of utmost importance to us. And you can talk to us about anything. And we're here to help you. We're here to support you. And we're here to love you. There was none of that. And it frustrates me to no end that this detective is saying all the right things while the church is hiding behind attorneys and an insurance company and a district that says nobody's allowed to talk about anything. And my question is, why can this church fully publicly support victims of a murder, but they can't fully publicly support victims of a sexual assault? I want to know the answer to that when those three teens watched their grandmother be murdered in front of them the church didn't sit back and say well let's just hope that it was only this one time that they're going to experience a trauma like that and let's hope that it all works out well for them the church didn't do that they called the department of children and family services they volunteered to open their homes to these kids one of the families in the church even adopted one of the kids like they sacrificed and they showed the love of christ When these kids were in crisis and when this story was in the news, there was no issue with the pastor standing in front of the camera to say, we love these kids. We want to do everything we can to keep them safe. And we want to show them all the love that they need. We just need to love and support them and be there for them. There was no problem with that. There was no problem with the church being associated with a violent murder of somebody who went to their church. But this same church needs to deny and distance themselves from a story that involves the sexual abuse of a young person. Why is there this disparity? And I mean, I think the obvious thing that we can say is because it makes the church look good to help three orphaned children who have just been through a trauma. That's a warm, fuzzy story. Like, look at this awesome church stepping up and doing what needs to be done to ensure the safety of these children. But why can't we have the same thing when it comes to sexual abuse? And listen, I know that sexual abuse is tough to talk about. I know that it's difficult to stand in front of people and say, our youth leader, one of our youth leaders who worked very closely with the youth was arrested this week for sexually assaulting a teen boy. Our hearts are broken. We're devastated to find out this news. We are so, so hurt for this victim. No child should have to experience that. And we want you to know that if you have ever found yourself in a similar situation, no matter who the perpetrator was, it's okay for you to come forward and tell us. It's okay for you to let us know if you've been hurt. Because guess what? You are a part of our church. You're a part of our church family, and we love you very much. And we don't care how bad this new story makes our church look the thing that we care about is that every single one of our kids be safe, is that every single one of our kids feel safe to come forward and tell us if they have ever been abused, whether it's by this guy or any other guy. But instead, what you've got is people perpetuating that culture of silence. Don't talk about it. And this came straight from the denomination They told me, the pastor and his wife, straight from the top, our orders are don't talk about this to anybody for any reason. Don't talk about it. Keep it quiet. Keep it hushed. Keep it out of the news. Be as deceptive as possible with your statements without quite getting to the line where you're outright lying and do whatever you can to protect this institution. Do whatever you can to keep us from looking bad so we don't lose members, so we don't lose kids in our school, so we don't lose money. It just makes me sad and it makes me especially sad just just reading this detective like this detective caring so much about the potential for additional victims knowing that because of this guy's role in the church he's likely victimized other people and wanting to get those kids the help that they need. You have that from the detective and you have he was not on our staff at our church. He's been released of his volunteer responsibilities. Pray for us from the church. And I just think that it's wrong. The way that we put the institution and the reputation of our churches in front of the lives of children and the lives of broken people is wrong. It just is. Because whether a person is traumatized by a violent murder in their family or by the loss of a loved one or by spousal abuse or domestic violence or childhood sexual abuse, the church should be there. The church should be the first in line to say, we don't give a flying rat's butt if it makes us look bad. Our priority is to love and care for the wounded. That's our priority. And we're not seeing that in churches by and large. I do want to add that there were people in this church who were concerned about the way that the church handled this situation, who were concerned that more needed to be done for the kids. And although the pastor wouldn't meet with me, as I requested, uh, they did send somebody to talk to me, I think partly maybe because they were worried I was going to blog about it, um, but sent someone to ask my opinion on what should be done. I was able to give a couple of suggestions, including having counselors available to the kids in the youth group who were probably pretty traumatized by the fact that one of their beloved youth leaders had been arrested for sexually assaulting a teenager. Um, and they did follow that and I just want to say that there are people in that church who wanted to do more and who did more and I admire them and I respect them for that and I know there are people who want to do the right thing and who push for the right thing to be done and you can usually find people like that in every single church and I think that's awesome but what I am frustrated with are church leaders and denominational leaders who are more concerned with how the church looks than they are with how the church loves. We're getting it wrong. We're getting it wrong, like that's the bottom line. So next week on the podcast, we're gonna continue this discussion because I have a lot more to say about how churches respond to sexual abuse in their congregations and i know that so many people who listen to this podcast my goodness you all have stories and they're heartbreaking like i have cried so many times in the last two weeks just reading stories on the survivor sanctuary facebook page and just spending time being very frustrated and angry and i feel like it's righteously angry Uh, that people are so mistreated in the name of God or in the name of protecting an institution. And so I know you guys can relate, a lot of you who are listening, to what I'm talking about and to churches handling stories of abuse improperly. And I know that so many of you want to be a part of the change, and I think that that's awesome. We're going to continue this discussion next week. There are a few things I just want to get off my chest and that I want to be able to work through with you so you can join me on the next episode of Survivor Sanctuary for more on how churches can respond well to allegations of sexual abuse or to sexual abuse scandals in their church. Until then, I would love for you to join the Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. You can find us on Facebook, search Survivor Sanctuary, request to join, and I will add you. And we're just having some really great discussions there, and you'll find some really great community. And I love that people are sharing, and we're learning more about each other, and we're just able to support each other. I think that that part is really amazing. So join us on the Survivor Sanctuary group. I'm going to see some of you at the Courage Conference coming up this weekend. I'm really excited about that. And for everybody else, I'll see you on the next episode of Survivor Sanctuary. Thanks for listening to Survivor Sanctuary with me, Kelly Downing. If you found value in today's podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Not only will it put a big smile on my face, more importantly, your reviews will help make it easier for other survivors and survivor advocates to find this podcast. Also, make sure you subscribe to Survivor Sanctuary wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also join the conversation in our Survivor Sanctuary Facebook group. And for exclusive content, be sure to visit SurvivorSanctuary.com. Join me next time for another episode of Survivor Sanctuary. See you then.